If you're an executive, entrepreneur, seasoned investor, or just a student of the game, you'll love The Great Fail, Adweek's Entrepreneurship Podcast of the Year, a show that artfully uncovers some of the biggest fails in business history and how it might have been prevented. The Great Fail is entertaining, informative, and told through a true crime narrative in under 30 minutes that keeps you at the edge of your seats. So check out The Great Fail wherever you get your podcast. We actually use Scrib in our home. Do you really love your sleep number bed? And we do. Busy has been in my fridge all summer. Calling the advertising industry fast-paced may be an understatement. Advertising is full of idea people go-getters, and project jugglers. And if you're a diamond under pressure, then it might be the career for you. The folks that work on ads can come from surprisingly different backgrounds, and today we'll cover the winding paths that brought some of the ad results media experts to where they are today. Thank you all for joining us today on On The Mic. I want to start off with some introductions, even though we have a few friends of the podcast here, Ari and Evan. I know y'all have been on a few times, but I'm still going to make you introduce yourselves for any new listeners that we may have. Hello, I'm Ari Diozon. I'm a senior copywriter here at AdResults Media. Hey, I'm Evan Brown, also a senior copywriter here at AdResults. And I'm Kelsey Utz. I'm an audio insights specialist at AdResults Media. It is nice to be here. So Ari, you are kind of leading our conversation today. So this is a little bit of a different setup than we normally have. So I'm going to pass it over to you to talk about career paths. All right. So before we jump into our personal experiences and our career paths, let's talk a little bit about a traditional or more by the book route to get into the industry. You would probably start with a relevant degree with advertising, marketing, PR or journalism or something related to that. On the creative side, some people even go to portfolio school for additional intensive trade specific experiences. And outside of school, internships are immensely valuable because they're not padded with busy work. So you get a lot of hands-on experience in a very short period of time. So shout out to our summer intern, Megan. She jumped right in and did an amazing job. We miss you. We hope to see you again soon. And uh, with all of that said, advertising really touches everything, whether we like it or not. And a good idea can come from any small nugget of inspiration. So almost any work experience you can spin to be relevant. If you come from something like retail or sales, you probably have a very good understanding of consumer needs and how to communicate benefits. If you're a project manager, you're all about juggling projects and managing short runways. Even teachers are excellent at distilling complicated information into digestible, even entertaining snippets. So the audio advertising geniuses here at ARM come from a lot of different places. And I think that's what makes our team so agile and creative and able to come up with different ideas and solves that maybe you wouldn't be able to think of on your own. I personally went the extremely boring route. So <laughs> I went to school for advertising. I interned at AAF Houston, the American Advertising Federation of Houston, 
And that put me in touch with a lot of people who were spending money on things like galas and award shows. And that's how I got my first agency job. And from there, I've just been doing the agency gig. <laughs> so um, since my story isn't necessarily that interesting, <laughs> let's hear a little bit from some other folks and their backgrounds and where they came from. I never really know how to get into this conversation for me. I always feel like I don't really have a career path story because I didn't really have a career path, period. <laughs> um, I was very lucky to get a job with ad results right out of college. Um, I didn't really have a super relevant degree. Um, I had a degree in English literature and writing, which you know probably sets you up pretty well for communications in general, but nothing marketing specifically, PR, journalism, nothing like that. I just saw the posting and I knew what podcasts were. So that was a connection that I made. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's been working out for me so far, but I feel like a lot of the more industry specific stuff I've learned through working and uh, by, you know, talking to everybody at the company and just like learning through doing rather than having any specific education, which is really cool. It's cool that I had that opportunity, but it also can lead to a lot of second guessing where it's like, you know, I never received a formal education and stuff like this. So it's easy to get to a point where it's like, is this right? Am I right about this? I'm not sure. I think that's a fun thing, though, because to be honest, all of us are kind of making things up as we go along throughout our careers, no matter where you're from or whatever you're doing. But I think probably that background in understanding storytelling and tone is probably what makes you really good at your job. <laughs> Oh, I hope so. It's got to be good for something, right? <laughs> Honestly, one of the things that stood out to us uh, during the interview was you telling us about your time in your acapella group. I was hoping this would come uh up. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that technically doesn't have really anything to do with the audio insights position, but your passion for it and the way that you lit up when you talked about it, I was like, okay, this is someone who's very passionate about what they do. Obviously, she is very engaged with the things that she likes and that she enjoys. Like, I think that she would just fit in really well and, you know, work really well with the shows that we work with. Because we do a lot of, uh, we interact a lot with shows and their producers and their representatives. And so I needed someone who could come in and be very outgoing and really just be able to talk to whoever is on the phone. And so that was one of the things that kind of stood out to us in your interview. Wow, I should come on the podcast more often if you're just going to compliment me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think I was a part of your interview process as well. And yeah, just to echo, I think there's this idea that if you don't have like exact one-to-one -one experience with a certain hard skill that somehow you're disqualified. But, you know, the hard skills are actually the ones that are the most trainable. And I think a lot of times when you're trying to find the right hire, you're trying to find the right person. And that is like a soft skill, heavy kind of criteria a lot of the time. So, yeah, and also, you know, three other, at least three other English majors on this recording that I know of, or two other, I mean, Lindsay, weren't you also an English major? I, I have a creative writing background as well. Yeah. I didn't make that up. No, you didn't. Uh, I, okay. <laughs> I, I switched majors. I actually went for musical theater and then switched over to creative writing about halfway through. So I love that. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't think I knew that either. <laughs> Yeah, one of the schools that I went to did not have a very good musical theater program. And so I just didn't really have didn't really have the opportunity to continue pursuing that. Can I ask Kelsey a question? Yeah. 
because audio insights is such a unique job what were you searching for while you were looking for jobs that brought you to the listing in the first place do you remember I do remember. I actually, I had kind of an interesting mindset looking for jobs coming out of college. They tell English majors a lot that you have to kind of lower your expectations uh, when you're searching for jobs after you graduate. If you're not looking to immediately go into grad school or academia, there's not really like a set sort of field where it's like, oh, this is what English majors do. You're either going to be a teacher or you're going to write books and get an MFA Um, or you abandon all of your creative principles and you go work for a corporation. Uh, So I really was just, honestly, I was looking for anything. My filters were very wide. I needed to pay rent. Uh, So I was checking everything. But I was specifically looking for things. I had done some work at my university, like administrative assistant stuff, uh, clerking, like working the front desk for the English department. So I was familiar with like working in an office setting, kind of taking messages for people, sorting mail, um, writing general communications, getting office supplies ordered, things like that. So I figured, oh, you know, like a, a clerking position, maybe a desk job, you know, a front desk position, a secretary, maybe data entry. I knew I was really good at. Um, I could do a lot of like organizational stuff pretty easily. I love spreadsheets. I love organizing things. So the original listing that I actually applied for was for a position that no longer exists at AdResults. It was a uh, traffic coordinator back when we had separate traffic and quality assurance teams. Um, So the job was really just going to be finding the spots, verifying that they ran correctly in the shows and uploading all of the information into the system for then another team member to go in and do like the more subjective work of like actually parsing through the spot and making sure that they did everything correctly. So essentially I was collecting timestamps and audio and uploading that. And I figured, you know, perfect. I can definitely do this. I know how to use all of these programs. I can do that. And then, you know, ad results went through a lot of changes and there were a lot of opportunities opened up where I could, you know, learn new things, add on a couple different tasks as the teams uh, evolved. And it's been very unexpected, uh, the amount of uh, opportunities that have come from that one sort of very entry level, like extremely entry level position. Um, really, it just, you know, allowed me to see what was going on in the in the podcasting world, in the audio advertising world, and sort of get exposed by listening to everything first, and then sort of applying what I had been listening to in the future. So something that you mentioned kind of reminded me of why I wanted to be a copywriter. All I knew was that I wanted to write for a living somehow, but I just don't have the attention span to do the academic writing or to play the publishing game and all that. So when I just kind of accidentally stumbled upon copywriting for advertising, I was like, wow, this is it. I can just make stuff up all day. (laughs) And write about a whole bunch of different things and it'd be different every day and I don't have to be a starving artist (laughs) which my parents were very concerned about me becoming (laughs) but uh here we are and it it was just like a very interesting thing for me because I was like I want to write I want to be a writer and then realizing like okay how do we do that in a way that is sustainable (laughs) and that's how I decided that copywriting was for me and why I wanted to pursue it from from the get-go was literally just uh, trying to find a way to do the thing that I thought I was good at and enjoyed doing, but at the same time, you know, making rent. (laughs) Yeah, paying rent's good. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was a big concern for my parents as well, getting the degree that I got. 
that's probably a good segue to my story because I can. Re- it took me a lot longer than Kelsey or probably all of you to get into the advertising world, but uh, my education is in music, which I so I can relate to the whole lower ear expectations thing because it's not really known for like landing you a job right out of college, a lucrative position. So I kind of had odd jobs for a while. I had a bit of a meandering career path, I guess you could say. I had some just sort of odd jobs for a while. And then eventually I found myself working at tech startups. And I later fell into entertainment marketing for about nine years. And the one through line for most of my career was that I was writing in some capacity. So I was doing blog posts and social media newsletters and promo videos and product descriptions and just a huge variety of of writing that really helped me hone my skills very slowly over a long time. And that was my in for getting into the ad industry. I I think I had a similar epiphany to Ari just a lot later, <laughs> that not not pre-college or anything, that uh, the the writing stuff was what I enjoyed the most. And it was what I had come to be pretty good at. And I was wondering if I could turn that into kind of a full-time thing and just be creative a lot more often. So that led me here. I kind of had a bit of a meandering start getting in. I didn't start... Okay, so I've been with Ad Results for almost eight years. And I came from the beauty industry. I was running a string of salon chains in Houston. And I had started off as a receptionist and then moved up to their general manager. And at some point, the owner thought, well, it would be a great um, idea if you could also just run all of our social and our marketing and uh, just everything to get the salon out there. And I was sitting here like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but sure, I know Twitter. So I did a lot by doing, like I learned a lot by doing basically. And so I used some of my photography skills that I had picked up while doing uh, theater and um, like revamped our menus and started purchasing billboards and creating the billboard ads and creating magazine ads. And when unfortunately the salon did not work out, they did go under. When I was laid off, I ended up at Ad Results because I had theater connections who worked at Ad Results. And they're like, hey, we need a temp. And it's just two weeks, but you know, if you just need something to do while you look for another job. And I was like, sure, that's fine. I'll, I'll join the traffic team and do some data entry for a little while. And then I started talking to Marshall and Russell about podcasting and bringing more ideas to the table. And they're like, oh, I guess you can stick around. And um, again, learned a lot about the industry just by kind of doing and brute forcing my way through. And um, yeah. There's a lot to be said for learning learning by doing because, you know, I don't, I, I do not have a writing background as far as being trained or an education in it. And I learned, I was my skills were very rough around the edges, to say the least, when I first started doing it a long time ago. And I just did it a lot and watched what saw what other people were doing and observed when someone else would write something and it would be way better than something that I wrote and be like, why is that? What can I do <laughs> to make that better? And, uh, you know, over time, I just kind of built up a, a skill and nothing can replace hands-on experience and just trying and doing i uh i feel like i'm somewhere in between the the very meandering path and the 
traditional path. Um, we didn't really talk about this other path too much, but you, so I, I started out with an English degree, a creative writing focus. I loved that degree. Once I found it, I started out my college career um, with a business degree. Actually, I went to a, a school in Nashville for music business, which was basically music industry studies built into a business degree. Um, I, I play some music as well. And I was hoping actually for something like entrepreneurship for musicians. That's now looking back, that's what I was really wanting. But instead, I pretty much just got a straightforward business degree. And it was not for me. Macroeconomics and I do not get along. And my now, my now girlfriend, who is just a friend of mine at in college at the time, she, she, you know, like we, I would, I was always at the coffee shop reading something and she was like, you should, you know, look into some English classes. I think you'd really like them. You're always talking about these books you're reading. And literally like the first English class I took, I was like, this is, this is what I should have been doing this whole time. I fell in love with breaking down story, breaking down characters, breaking down. Actually, some of my favorite classes were about like books and myths that I thought were so boring in high school, but for some reason as an adult, they just were captivating. But then it's like, what am I going to do with my career? Because I had not been thinking about career up until the point when I graduated. Literally, um, I did I did it totally backwards. I was not thinking about career the whole time. And so it was like, well, yeah, I'd love to be the next mediocre American novelist, but I don't even know what to write about. <laughs> like, I didn't have like a here's here's a novel that I've been baking. You know, I didn't have short stories that were just like dying to get out. And I think that's actually really normal for maybe someday down the line, that will be my story. Maybe that'll be my focus in life. But I think sometimes, you know, as a creative person, you bloom at different times. And I just realized like, I am not on the track to go to graduate school for creative writing right now. So what do I do? I thought about being a teacher. Uh, I explored it. And ultimately, and this is, you know, it's, it's just like, it didn't quite fit for, for a lot of reasons. I never, ever, ever come across anyone who recommended copywriting. No one had ever talked to me about brand writing. I'd never even thought about it. And so I was doing marketing. I was interested in web design. So I later ended up freelancing as a web designer, which was really fun. And as I was getting into visual design and HTML and CSS chops getting sharpened that I, you know, started, you know, playing around with HTML as an eight-year-old or whatever, you know, like when you first get your, like... <laughs> Your GeoCities page. Yeah, not with But Your like there was something like ridiculously MySpace. Yes, ridiculously basic HTML skills that I now as an adult was like, oh, I could actually do something with this. But then I started to notice <laughs> started to notice how many websites just had terrible writing. And then when a website would have really strong visuals and really strong writing, I would find myself getting more and more pulled in to the writing side of things and started exploring branding. And that led me to copywriting, sort of marrying this love for the language and love for story and love for character with a sort of practical, but also I think I just was also interested in branding. It wasn't even just a, I can make money with this. It was also, you know, a really good brand can spark a lot of joy. And it's one of the better parts of capitalism. And uh, so I just felt like it kind of felt right. And I found ad results at this at the time when i had really been listening to podcasts a lot for a couple of years and so that also felt kind of like a 
a happy coincidence that there was this place where I could work with a lot of brands. I could work with the language and um, I could work with a medium that I really enjoyed. So I want to go back to something that Lindsay mentioned that she got this job through a theater connection. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else have any interesting networking stories that landed you a job or a client? Because the advertising industry is very competitive. And as always, that networking gives you the extra edge. I've gotten a non-advertising job, if that counts for the conversation, but I have gotten jobs in interesting ways through networks. I think that your current coworkers can really turn into incredible network contacts down the line because they know the type of person you are to be around and they know about your abilities and they can kind of become your biggest advocates later on once your paths have diverged. Um, And I once got a job from, I I sent a message to someone that I had worked not even at the same company at, but in the same building as, uh, and we just had some overlapping social circles. And I was unemployed at the time and he always seemed like he was doing interesting things. So I just, I sent him a Facebook message and I just asked him what he was up to. And he was founding a startup company and he said, let's meet up and get you involved. And he offered me a job. And it was just because I sent him a message seeing what he was doing. So you never know what's going to come of professional and personal connections. And I think it's important to always be building and maintaining relationships and not treating them as networking necessarily, Uh, But just understanding that your relationships with the people who are around you at any given time can lead to future opportunities. And if not, you just have more friends. So it's kind of win-win. So I think every job that I have gotten after my first one right out of college was because of someone that I had previously worked with that reached out and said that they wanted to work with me again. And so I totally 100% agree with you, even if it's not necessarily someone that you work with every single day. Well, <laughs> if you're good at your job and people like working with you, they will want to work with you again. And you have no idea where those contacts will come from because it might be a project manager that you only talk to once a month, or it could be someone that you were brainstorming with every day. You have no idea. So for this job, I did not find my contact through a previous uh, a previous coworker, but I, I'm still part of the organization, but I have not uh, participated in an event in a while. But there is this uh, comedy wrestling group in Houston called Doomsday Wrestling, and uh, I was I was part of the show, and so was Lindsay's partner, and. Uh, So I had just been, we were kind of, I guess we kind of had like a parasocial relationship (laughs) because we were like friends on Facebook. We followed each other on Instagram. And that's how I found out that they needed a copywriter. And I was like, oh no, well, we haven't really hung out. Um, We're not super close, but she posted the, the job listing. And I was like, Hey, it's it me. Uh, I can do that if you would like, and that's <laughs> that's how I got this job. Um, so yeah, even even with all of the industry contacts and like my previous history, my contact to get this job, which is now the place that I have been the longest and <laughs> would like to stay, 
um, was from something completely outside of my working career. And um, I, I think that just goes to show that like, no matter what you, you just gotta, you just gotta network. So what we're saying is you can make a lot of contacts through the theater and entertainment industry. Yeah. <laughs> through your local theater and comedy. And I, I would I would go so far as to stress that because you mentioned if you are, you know, a great person to be around and good at your job, that that goes a long way. I would go so far as like Nate was saying before, where a lot of jobs are more of a person match than anything. You know, obviously you want to be good at what you do, but if someone really likes being around you because you're positive and you're helpful and you're fun or whatever it is, that probably counts for more than anything as far as networking and, and having an in with a new job. I mean, I can tell you, like Evan and Ari are both great writers. And that was totally a factor whenever I was meeting you guys. I was like, oh, I want these people on the team because they're great writers. But it was also like, y'all are people that I wanted to work with. What I love about this conversation about networking is whenever I was thinking about my career, the word networking made me cringe. I just hated the thought of this. And it's because I had this idea of schmoozing, which is so like, I don't know, maybe it's like a, just like some sort of a thing that's in pop culture. It's like a mischaracterization of what it is. But what I love about this story that Ari was just showing is like, you can't tell someone, well, you should join Doomsday Wrestling because then you might get a job as a copywriter. But at the same time, kind of like you never know how the people you meet are going to benefit you. I don't have a specific, I got a job kind of story, but just another kind of tag on is I made connections with people that I wanted to learn from um, whenever I was, especially when I was learning web design and just kind of figuring out how I was going to start freelancing just from people that I knew that were even sort of tangentially related to that, that, you know, I grew up going to school or church with and, you know, just like reaching out to them on LinkedIn and like, Hey, I'd love to talk with you sometime about this. So I think there's more even to networking than just getting the job. It's however you want to grow, seeing the people that are in your circle as a resource and thinking of ways that you can be a resource to them. That's just good people skills. And it's also good career skills. Before we move on, I would like to give a shout out to um, editor Jeff, who is listening in on this conversation. Jeff is also a hire to add results sort of through networking. His roommate was in a theater show with me. He played my brother and we became friends and he invited me to play in a Dungeons and Dragons game with him and Jeff. And that is how Jeff and I met. And Jeff ended up applying at Ad Results. And he also does theater and um, has also done like 48 hour film projects with me. And so again, you never know where you're going to meet people. Maybe you meet them in a Dungeons and Dragons game. Who knows? <laughs> so dope. I was just going to say, I definitely had that same experience, Nate, of feeling very turned off by the word networking and the idea of networking. You know, I tried to do a little bit of it in my senior year because I figured, you know, this is the only way I'm going to figure out how to get a job. I should meet somebody who can give me a job. But all of like the events that they set up seemed so forced and people that maybe I wouldn't normally even want to talk to. So it all just felt very fake to me. And I really had no concept of like how make like forcing a connection like that was going to put me in a position where I'd end up in a place where I would want to be naturally. So I think it, it is very helpful when you can have that mindset shift of it's not necessarily just like reaching out and meeting as many people as possible with the hope of leveraging that directly into a job opportunity, but rather like keeping your mind 
open to the possibilities that the people around you that you already like being around might be able to give to you in the future. And people can tell the moment that you are trying to network with them, you know, for an opportunity, it's obvious and they don't appreciate it. And I agree, like networking events, it's a, it's a hit or miss thing. I, I have often described some of the networking events that were put on by my music school as a room full of people without jobs, trying to get jobs from people who don't have jobs. <laughs> it's like, there's, a, you know, it's great to make those contacts, but you have to kind of expand your, uh, your sphere a little bit. Yeah. And it, it's tough because if you feel like you don't know people, trying to figure out how to find people to know is a very strange, like not natural thing to do. But like everyone has touched on, there are so many different ways to meet people and to network in ways that don't necessarily mean you have to have a name tag on your shirt and business cards in your pocket. And there are so many different organizations like like AAF or the American Institute of Graphic Arts. There's all kinds of conferences that are open to everybody to go to, like VidCon, Adobe Max, South by Southwest. A little expensive, yes, but uh, there's always there's usually for like even the super expensive big ones, there are usually smaller events that pop up around those things that you can also go to and just be a sponge and learn about things and meet different people who are interested in the same things that you are interested in. I used to network through a group called Add to Houston. Oh my God, yes. I, I don't think I'm allowed to be a part of that group anymore because I think it's for people under 30, if I remember correctly. Oh, is there an age cut? I think oh, there's no. I think there's an age cutoff. <laughs> I feel like I remember someone mentioning to me that it is it is definitely for like professionals under 30. And so I think I've I'm well above that now. Um, I think I've been kicked out. <laughs> I was also part of Add2. Um, oh, oh no, I forgot what my um, chair position was, but I don't remember if it was social social chair. This was almost 10 years ago now. But yeah, I was also part of Add2. I didn't realize that there was a cutoff, but the purpose of that organization specifically was supposed to be the in-between for people who just graduated college and AF Houston, which is, you know, the people with the big budgets that want to buy multiple tables at an event. And add to is that in between of I'm just starting my career. So there's always going to be some organization or some at least one other person out there that has a similar path to you. But you have to like put yourself out there to to find those things, or at least be open to talking to people about what you love and what you want to be good at and what you want to learn. I liked that group particularly when I was still a member because it wasn't just putting a bunch of us together in a room and just kind of saying good luck. They would host like trivia nights and and bowling and whatnot. So you had um, some more natural ways to kind of meet people and maybe get to know each other in a way that didn't necessarily revolve around advertising and marketing. And so it kind of opened up the conversations a little more naturally. I definitely encourage people to look into groups like that if they're interested in networking. It's it's definitely a lot easier than some of the other ones. Um, Evan, you remember VidCon. I met some great contacts there, but some of their networking events were literally throwing everybody in a room and it's like, well, good luck talking to each other. Yeah, I was I was going to mention VidCon because there was a lot of that, but they also had that app 
that was specifically for networking. That app was great. It was amazing. You could put in a little description of who you were and what you were looking for, who you were looking to network with, and then browse through a list of people who were there. And I set up probably 10 to 15 one-on-one meetings with total strangers, but who we had we had connected on this app and decided, hey, we may have something to talk about. Uh, we may be aligned with what we're looking for. And it was fantastic because that that's just a pure networking method that doesn't involve putting everybody into a room and saying, good luck, hope you're not annoying people, or hope you find someone who's not wasting your time, and here's an hour, the clock's ticking. So on the side of you know just direct networking, very specifically, this is what I'm here for, let's just talk business. It was awesome. It was a really, and I hopefully that's going to become kind of the norm from from here on out because it cuts down on a little bit of approach anxiety and you know just the going up to strangers can be fun, but it's also intimidating. Uh, so if you know you're both kind of you've both set aside 15 minutes and you have similar goals, it just makes the whole process a lot more painless. The podcast movement app had a similar feature where you could scroll through and read people's profiles and see where they were from and see what they were about. And then you could reach out and send them messages to, um, you know, connect during the conference. Uh, but, but one of the funnier things about podcast movement, which everyone seemed to kind of enjoy, was our badges had QR codes on them. So if you just happen to be talking to someone while you were waiting in line for coffee or whatever, they'd be like, oh, let's connect. And then you would just like scan your QR code. And I noticed that people were just like scanning everyone's QR code. It was like collecting Pokemon. Like how many <laughs> how many QR codes can I scan and get into my rotation? Was there a prize? <laughs> no, it was just it was just a way of like that was how you it was just an easy way to like share your contact information with people while you were chatting and I had multiple people scan mine and I've received a few text messages over the past couple weeks just saying like hey just wanted to reach out it was great talking to you would love to connect further you know talk about on the mic or whatever I don't know it was just kind of a it was kind of a funny um just a, a little funny bit that you could involve yourself in Technology is so amazing. It's like dating apps, but for setting up potential networking relationships. That just seems like it uh, it streamlines the whole process, makes things easier. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, like the idea of speed dating. That's kind of, I think, why traditional networking events maybe uh, didn't appeal to me. Is the idea of like everyone is just like desperate to connect and it's set aside just for that. Whereas what y'all were talking about, like the kind of casually hanging out, whether you're like bowling or whatever, that's where like really authentic <laughs> conversations and connections happen. So I feel like that's a good mix of like, we're setting this this moment aside to connect and then we're, we're finding some way to bring real intentionality and how that's going to happen. Well, I think, I think there's definitely something to be said about that whole dated idea of how people get jobs. And I think people don't necessarily feel empowered to change those things. But for example, I think the reason why Ad2 was pretty successful at doing these events is because it was for the people trying to get the benefit by the same people. So we had no direction from anyone else. There wasn't necessarily like a hierarchy of other organizations telling us what to do. It was literally a bunch of people out of college saying, what can we do to help ourselves? And doing those things, like putting on those events, reaching out to people. And I think 
if you're not seeing what you want to see in your local area, if you're not seeing the kind of networking that you would like to attend, you should feel empowered to create those events. And yes, it will be scary. And yes, it will be terrifying. And yes, you may not think that you can do it without a lot of help, but you can ask for help and you probably have friends that will be willing to help you. So if there isn't a group that you want to join, you can make that group (laughs) and have other people want to join it and not play the game that we, I think, or a lot of us were told we had to play to get into an industry or to get a job or to prove that you'll be good at something um, in a very unnatural way. And chances are, if you feel that way, there are many other people in your area that feel that way. And uh, yeah, and I also just want to be clear, like, I'm not saying that networking events are good or like trying to, to demonize that style of networking event. I just think some people really gravitate to that and they like really thrive in that environment and not everyone does. So yeah, setting up the kind of event that you want to see is definitely, that makes a lot of sense. So what are some other ways that y'all think you try to stay engaged with your craft outside of work that kind of help you be an expert in your job listening to podcasts i was gonna say the same thing (laughs) well i mean you know for for kelsey and i very specifically a, a lot of what we do is grading ad reads on how well we think they're performing and how well we think they're going to resonate with listeners. And so continuing to just kind of listen to shows overall, or, you know, now that we're really moving into YouTube, you know, taking notes from YouTube creators and, and even TikTok creators, and just how are these things evolving? And it it really, you know, kind of helps us be able to evolve what we're listening for and what we're looking for. Yeah, it's a it's good to just be able to feel like you have a grasp on what's popular in the space and like what's getting a lot of attention, what's resonating, and then comparing that to, you know, how our clients are currently like allocating their budgets and stuff. Are there are their priorities matching up with what we're seeing as being pretty popular and pretty resonant with uh, most people listening? Um, does it work for me personally? You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the grading process, um, we do have some regular, pretty objective criteria, but a lot of it ends up coming down a little bit subjectively to, does it hit for me when I'm listening to it? Does it sound authentic? Is it engaging? And a lot of that can in context with like other ads that I'm hearing in the space, like how does it sound compared to the way that other people are doing it? Does it sound more forced? Does it sound uh, more uh, authentic? Are they including something that maybe other people in the space aren't doing? Is something that is generally pretty helpful. And uh, it's always good if we can stay on top of any curveballs that might be happening in the industry. If you've got your sort of finger on the pulse when something really crazy happens, somebody blows up, somebody says something they shouldn't on Twitter, it's good to be able to know that ahead of time. Yeah, and, and outside the podcast space, one of the one of the things I like about being in the advertising industry is that it takes ad breaks just anywhere, really, uh, TV or radio or anything, and which could be seen as just kind of a an interruption or a nuisance or whatever, and it turns it into an opportunity for me to like pay attention and listen to hear what's what's going on and and study and kind of analyze what other people are doing and what makes an effective ad or what doesn't make what has become cliche or you know there's insight that I can get out of it and it's funny because 
you never know when a brand that you've seen in an ad will become a client that you work with in the future. I mean, when I helped launch the AARP campaign, I had seen a bunch of their ads before, and I brought some of that experience to kind of show them that I understood their voice because I knew they had this view of how, you know, as we get older, we don't necessarily feel old or they have kind of a young at heart theme with a lot of their ads. And I was able to bring that to the table and and write copy that I knew would be in line with their values and views. And it was all because I watched TV. So, you know, watching TV isn't so bad. It doesn't just rot your brain. Being plugged in, it yeah. it helps. Not a totally contrarian point to, to add on to Evans, though, is I try to kind of compartmentalize when I'm looking at an ad to analyze like the ad for itself. And then whenever I'm like watching a movie, if I go to the movies or I'm, I'm watching TV or whatever, I try to as much as I can think about just like, I'm here to watch the show. And does the ad grip me despite the fact that I'm not here to watch the ad? And those ads really stand out. Because I think it's tempting whenever you're like really into ads <laughs> to think that everyone is into ads and you forget that most people need to be enticed to actually pay attention to an ad. And that's like probably the number one hurdle that ad writers and and brands need to be aware of is you're competing with really good content that your ad is showing up in. So I, I totally agree with you where it's like being plugged in and also being plugged into the mindset that most people are, are listening to podcasts to listen to the podcast. So how your ad shows up in that podcast had better respect that you're not the top priority in that moment. I don't know if you guys resonate with that or if that's just my hobby horse uh, right now. Oh, 100%. I totally, totally resonate with that because I think there's also, specifically in advertising, there's a section of people that try to make ads for people who like ads. And I think some things that get produced end up being ads for ad people instead of ads for people who happen to be listening to what they're listening to. And when you get overly heady or, uh, you know, too into your own concept, then it turns into something that's pretentious and annoying. (laughs) And when it becomes inaccessible in that way, it's not fun anymore. And Ads should be fun. They should touch on something that is real, something that, you know, it, usually there's some kind of small insight that people can attach to and say, wow, I think that, or like, wow, that is a ridiculous thought that I have had. And I think to be able to do that, like y'all have said, we have to be plugged in. We have to experience things so that we can collect these little insights to make the things that we produce interesting. Because otherwise, we're just saying BOGO, limited time offer, and that's it. (laughs) And we, you know, we do our best to avoid those things so that the ads that we make aren't just, you know, CTAs and that's it. Nate, I think uh, I really do resonate with uh, what you said about, like, is this going to grip me despite the fact that I'm not here primarily to listen to ads. I think uh, 99% of the time, an ad is going to be an interruption to something that you're already trying to engage in, something that you'd much rather listen to. You're, I'm more interested in like the true crime story that this podcaster is telling me. I'm watching a TV show and I want to know what happens next. And now there's an interruption and I have to sit here for 60 seconds, 75 seconds and wait. 
So I feel like there's already an initial, like the knee-jerk reaction is almost always going to be hostile unless we can find some way to make watching or listening to the ad, maybe not as engaging as the thing that you were there to watch or listen to, the thing that you're passionate about, the thing that you're interested in, but engaging enough that they don't immediately feel like uh, I'm going to hit mute, I'm going to hit skip, I'm going to get back to what I was watching. Like there might be something here that would be funny, that a joke that could make me laugh or um, something that I hadn't thought about or an opportunity that seems like it resonates with me. Yeah. I mean, I think as like creators, ad creators, we all want to push through to that, that other side where all of a sudden people are Googling the ad, you know what I mean? Like the most, uh, you know, the most interesting man or uh, the man your man can smell like are the two that just came to mind where it's like they, they're, they connect so well that now people really are seeking out the ad and you've really, you've made something that's different, like to a, a, that's a whole other level at that point. And then also, you know, thinking about the fact that actually podcast listeners are generally more open to ads than other channels. That's something that is actually kind of cool about podcasts for brands, but they're still not primarily there for the ad. And so there's a difference between them being more receptive and being more open. I hope that a big takeaway from this is that just about everybody at ARM is super passionate about what they do and how we got here may not necessarily be a traditional route to get to an advertising space, but I think we all do our best to have fun at our job. And hopefully that comes out in something a little bit more authentic than a usual ad, because we obviously love ads and we want to make good ones. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, do us a favor and share it on your social feed of choice. And for a limited time, click the subscribe button to get the latest episodes sent right to your favorite podcast app. Okay, so there's not really a time limit, but what would a show like ours be without a bit of urgency sprinkled on top of the call to action? While you're at it, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. So feel free to email us directly at onthemic at adresultsmedia.com. On the Mic is hosted by Lindsay Smith and Nate Spell, edited by Jeffrey Stallings, and produced by Ad Results Media. For more information about Ad Results Media, go to adresultsmedia.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We're proud to be a part of the Adweek Podcast Network and the Acast Creator Network. Find more podcasts like this one at adweek.com slash podcasts.